0: worship as our uh, cactus campus and our Northridge campus and our chapel join us Why don't we all bow for a word of prayer our gracious merciful Heavenly Father uh, we've been in a series here at our church Lord where we've been uh, plumbing the depths of some of the battles that we all have within and taking a look at what your word the Bible says about how we can be uh, better fighters And Lord, uh, we're gonna cap off today with just taking a holistic look, Father, from your word at what it means to have victory, what it means to win uh, when it comes to the things that plague us. God, if I don't miss my guess, there are some who have come in here today or might be watching online who uh, have just had a few more defeats than victories either lately or maybe even all their lives. And I pray, Lord, for that one and for all of us that as we take an honest look at your word, that we might learn something that we didn't know before we came here today. At the very least, Lord, that we might be inspired by the truth that you give us to incorporate this into our lives, to engage our faith in you, to commit to you. And Lord, from this point on, lead more victorious and in that sense, happy and purposeful lives. So that's my prayer, Father. We kneel before you now. We've focused our minds and softened our hearts before you through worship. Speak to us now through your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is a phrase that almost all of us are familiar with, and that is the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. (laughs) If if you're older, you know where that phrase comes from. It was popularized in my day and age by ABC's Wide World of Sports uh, with Jim McKay. When I was growing up on Saturday, they would always have the ABC Wide World of Sports and they would be showing the, 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 the intro to all of this and they'd repeat that line, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And even if you're young enough to not get the reference from ABC, the point is you've probably heard that phrase and even more so, you've probably experienced it at some point in your life. I can remember one of the first times, I remember experiencing the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. I was a freshman in college. And I've told you guys this before, when I was in, uh, in I'm sorry, freshman in high school. When I was in high school, I was four foot 10 and 85 pounds. (laughs) I had not hit maturity yet. I still would never get that tall, but I was very short in high school. And I tried out for football my freshman year. And when I say I tried out, they had to accept me because this was a small town and so I made the team and I was a fourth string tailback and I got clobbered every time I went out on the field and I learned that football wasn't my sport. But then that winter in my freshman year of high school, I discovered wrestling. And if you know anything about wrestling, though they call it a team sport, it's not. Because wrestling is where you go out alone onto the mat. And here's the cool thing for a little guy like me, you met another little guy out there on the mat. Because they matched you with somebody in your weight class. And wouldn't you know that in my freshman year of high school, they actually had an 85 pound weight class when I would become a sophomore, which this varsity and junior varsity, it was 98 pounds was the minimum. But for freshmen, uh, they were 85 pounds. So I wrestled 85 pounds. And I had the most unusual season because I had 10 matches that season, four before Christmas and then six after Christmas, and I won all four matches easily, hands down, before Christmas. My confidence was riding high. I had finally discovered my sport, and four times I went out and literally within like two or three minutes, I pinned all four of my opponents And then Christmas came, and something happened over Christmas, and I now know what it is. I psyched myself out. I lost my confidence. Over Christmas, I remember thinking to myself, man, you're kind of riding high now, and the higher you get, the harder you fall. And and what if, and what if, and what if, and what if you meet an opponent that beats you? And sure enough, the very first opponent that I had after Christmas was a guy, I kid you not, who was like six feet tall. Did I mention this was an 85 pound weight class? So he was like six feet tall. He was as thin as a post and he had these really long arms and he beat me and my confidence was shot. I would end the year with a record of six and four and some of you doing the math said, wow, well you won two after Christmas. They were by default. The other guy didn't show up. (laughs) So I actually didn't win one match after Christmas. For the opponents I had, I was four and four, and it was one of the first times in my life where I experienced, I mean, just so obvious, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Now, my guess is, though your story might not be identical to mine, that if you and I were having a cup of coffee and I said to you, tell me a time in your life where you experienced the thrill of victory, and then a time in your life where you experienced the agony of defeat, you probably could do that. Because here's what you and I know, it happens all the time. It happens in our businesses, our marriages, our parenting, our friendships, and what you and I are gonna see today is that it also happens in our personal and spiritual lives with God. But we're wrapping up a series today that we've called The Battle Within. we have focused on some very real internal issues that we all experience and struggle with. Things like disappointment, fear, shame, depression, and anger. And if you've been with us in the series, you know that we have matched these things up against the Bible and taken a look at what the Bible says and we have found the Bible is immensely helpful in what it says. It gives us a lot of help. And it's been a great series, especially for our day and age right now as our culture is coming off a -a once-in-a-lifetime worldwide pandemic complete with isolation, economic struggles, obvious health issues, and even personal loss. And this honest look at the battle within, folks, would not be complete without capping it off by exploring one final biblical truism, and that is what the Bible says about victory. Victory, because the Bible talks a lot, as you're going to see today, about this idea of victory. And so when it comes to battling all the things that we've been focusing on in this series, I want us to ask how do we make sense of what the Bible says about overcoming and victory? What does the Bible mean about victory? How does this affect our battle on a day in and day out basis, especially when you and I don't always experience victory? Now, there is one particular passage in the Bible that laser beam focuses on this issue of victory or overcoming. It uses the word no less than four times in two verses and the passage is 1 John chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. And so if you have your own Bible, turn there right now. If not, as always, I'll put it up here on the monitor, but we're going to park in front of this passage today and understand it in in its intricacies and and with clarity. And I'm not going to read it to you up front because we're going to read it as we go along, as we outline the three main points that it serves us up to us about victory and overcoming. And so here is the first thing that our passage before us makes clear, and that is that victory in our personal and spiritual lives is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ did you know that victory is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ and so I want you to look at how the bookends of our passage before us says this and you'll begin to see what this is about look at verses one and two I'm sorry, verse one and then verses four and five. So verse one and then verses four and five and you'll see where victory is found. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Then skip down to verse four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory... That has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, the very first thing I need you to see about this passage, and I put it there in yellow for you so you wouldn't miss it, is the interplay going on here between two phrases, and that's the phrase belief or faith, and then and then victory or overcoming. Uh, so first, focus on this idea of belief or faith. It says in verse one that everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God, and, and then it says that this is our faith, and then it repeats it and says the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what you need to know. When it uses that word believe twice and that word faith once, it's the same word in the Greek, So thrice repeated here, John is making a point. He's essentially saying that the faith and belief that you and I have must be laser beam focused on Jesus, our savior, our Lord, because it sets us up for something in our lives that we don't want to miss. And what is that? Well, it's the four times repeated word, here in verses four and five, overcome, 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 and victory. And again, not to bore you with the Greek, but once again, those four words there, thrice overcome and then victory, are the same word in the Greek. In other words, it's the Greek nike or nikos or nikao. Those are nouns and verbs, but it's all the same word. And fascinating, now this will be something you take home with you today. Uh, It's where you and I use this word all the time in our culture today when we buy Nike shoes. Because Nike is simply a transliteration from the Greek, uh, Nike, and they stole it from the Greeks, because the word means to win. The word means to have victory. The word means to conquer. The word means to overcome. It's a fascinating word, a powerful word that I don't need to spend a lot of time on because it means what it means. There's no cryptic meaning here. You can't wiggle out of it. It simply means that whatever competition, whatever battle you're in, you win. You get the upper hand, you come out the victor, you come out the one who's victorious or who has overcome or conquered. And so add it all up, folks, when we get here to First John, what is clearly being laid out when you mix and match this three times focus on Jesus as our savior and belief in him, and then this fourfold repetition of overcoming, overcoming, overcoming victory, It's telling us that when you and I place our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, something has now changed. When it comes to the spiritual landscape of our lives, namely, that Jesus now inhabits our very souls, now don't miss this, and it places us in the realm of very real victory and very possible, if not probable, overcoming. And the logic is impeccable because Jesus would use the same word for victory or overcoming, nakao, in John 16, when he would make this game-changing statement. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're gonna have tribulation, but take heart, I have, say this word with me, overcome the world same word as found in 1 John 5. So Jesus has overcome the nasty things of the world, the things that deliver up to us things like disappointment, fear, shame, depression, anger, the things we've been looking at in this, this series. These are the things that come from the world and our flesh and because Jesus now lives in us, because he now literally inhabits our very souls, the same overcoming power now courses through our spiritual veins and places us in the ring of victory. That's John's logic. You don't wanna miss this. If you are born of God, if you believe in Jesus here today, even though your life might be on the ropes, even though you're defeated in certain areas of your life, we'll get to that in a minute, the first thing you need to know is that you're in the ring. And that because you're in the ring, God says you now are a fighter and that you have at your disposal the tools to have victory. But only because he's in the ring with you. (laughs) And only because he is the one who has already overcome. Uh, Kim and I were watching again a, a movie this week that's kind of one of our, uh, our, our little favorites. It's just a, a not very deep movie. It's called Night and Day, uh, K-N-I-G-H-T, uh, like the old uh, archaic night, Night and Day. And it's it's an action romance movie, which is why we kind of like it, because she gets the romance, I get the action. And and I'm not gonna tell you the story of the movie. It's a very, very simple plot. It's about a a CIA guy who uh, the CIA thinks has gone rogue, and so they're after him. and, And this gal gets sort of caught up into it. She's just a normal, everyday person. And he's trying to convince her that because the bad guys are after them, that she needs to stay with him. And she says, no, I just want to go to the cops and turn myself in. He goes, you can't do that because they think you're all a part of this and you need to stay with me. And at one point, there's this famous line that Kim and I like where he's trying to convince her of this. And he essentially says to her, he says, look, if you do not stay with me, your chances of survival are down here. He goes, with me, without me with me, without me. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, it's actually reversed, a spoiler alert, because then he becomes dependent on her as they're trying to get away, and she repeats it and says to him, with me, without me. With me, without me. And even if you haven't seen the movie, it's a perfect illustration of you and Jesus. Because Richard, what Jesus says to you is that when you're in the battle, when you want to have victory in your life, even if you don't think it's possible, he says it is possible only under one condition. You ready for this? With me, without me. With me, without me. And way too many Christians today try to live their Christian life down here without him. And the very first thing you need to hear today is that any victory you have is going to be rooted in your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as I say quite often, we're just ramping up because the question that should be in your mind right now and mine is, well, Jamie, precisely how does this work? I mean, what's required of me? If Jesus lives in me and is already overcome and I'm trusting in him, then why do I still lose at times? Or for some of you, you might even say, Much of the time, what's missing? And these are great questions, one that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has already considered. And so here's the second thing that he shares with us in our passage before us today. And I'll just warn you, this thing has teeth, and it's this. And that is that victory is realized through obedience and perseverance. If victory is rooted in our faith in Jesus, and it is, it's how we even get in the realm of possibility for victory, then what you need to realize is that it's realized through obedience and perseverance. So we looked at the bookends of our passage a few moments ago when we noted that our victory is rooted in faith in Jesus. Now, let's notice what is contained in the center and middle of our passage in verses two to three as it says this. This is very revealing. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And then interestingly, it'll go on in verses four and five, just so you see the link to talk four times over about victory and overcoming. So we'd be foolish to not see the link here between verses two and three that talk all about these commandments and then verses four and five that talk about overcoming. And I've told you before that usually the key to understanding the Bible is in its repetition, right? Like with you with your kids when they were young and you'd repeat yourself over and over and over again to try to get them to get what you're trying to say, God's the same way with you. So commandments, 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 qualified by these verbs obey and keep. It's not rocket science. Uh, What God is basically saying to you and me here is that he wants us to keep, and I know some of you don't like this, but just grow up for a second, he wants us to keep the rules, the house rules, that he has established for our souls. And again, some of you don't like it because you think we're bordering on legalism, we're not. You're saved by faith. God loves you, he cares for you. If you believe in Jesus, you're a part of his family. He's never gonna leave you or forsake you. There is grace, his grip is always on you. But like a good child, he also wants you to obey him, amen? He wants you to follow him and do the things that he says to do. And again, I love when people say to me, you know, and they try to soften the Bible, and they'll say, you know, the Bible's not a book of a bunch of do's and don'ts. And I go, well, technically that's that's true, but have you ever read it? There's like a lot of do's and don'ts in the Bible. And I'm not talking about the ones that only applied to Israel in the Old Testament, because there are those. I'm talking about the ones that are universal in nature in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of them and they cover just about every area of our lives. It covers business ethics, it covers your marriage, your parenting, it covers your entire personal life. Just a simple look at the 10 Commandments ought to make you blush, right? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's possessions, don't lust after your neighbor's wife or, or husband. Honor God in everything you do. Honor your parents. Have no other gods before you. That's just the top 10. There's hundreds of others that pertain to every area of our life. And and, and the point is simple here. John's logic is like amazing. He essentially says that in light of the things that, that plague you in life, in light of the things that you battle, it's a lot easier to obey than it is to cave in. Wow, let that settle in for a minute. Because I think that's what he means when he says that his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Some of you initially read that and thought, well, they sure seem burdensome. (laughs) No, not compared with what your life is like, and you know this is true, when depression, anger, fear, shame, disappointment, and might I add things like lust and sexual sin and lying, and substance abuse, and all the nasty things we deal with. Which is better: to learn to obey God and find a degree of victory in life, or to constantly cave into these things and allow them to grab you by the throat? See, the Bible's logic is rather impeccable here, because I haven't met a human being yet who wouldn't say, "I think I'll opt for the commandments. <laughs> I, I think I'll opt for for doing life God's." Way, And again, what you and I need to understand is that point two here is predicated on point one. This isn't legalism. This isn't you trying to earn God's favor. Watch this. This is you as a spirit filled follower of Jesus whose victory is rooted in your faith. Remember point one, that's why it was so important. Who now walks around with the Holy Spirit coursing through your spiritual veins and God says, with that power already in you and behind you, choose at any given moment to obey me. And some of you say, well, I do that and it doesn't always work. Oh my gosh, well, of course it doesn't always work. Because your flesh is strong and the world is strong and you've got an enemy called Satan and he's after you. And that's why I said you have to apply apply not just obedience but perseverance because you have to keep on keeping on. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's what saints of old have always done, that they they obey and then they obey and then they obey and then they obey. Or as my pastor used to say back in the 90s, you choose and then you choose again. And again and again and again. And over time, talk to any saint who's been doing this for a long time, obedience will start to get traction. But you don't ignore the obedience just because it doesn't always work at least initially. I tried to think of an example in my life, you know, where I've had some victory through obedience. And the example I'm gonna give you is kinda of silly, but there's other ones too. I just don't know if I wanna give them. And so uh, yeah. I'm gonna give you this one right now and, and, and you'll get the idea. It actually goes back to the 1980s. Right after I first got saved, I was on fire for Jesus and I was uh, reading one summer, one whole year, a devotional book that some of you might remember by Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, called Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. And it was a very popular devotional book back then where, you know, it was kind of like a daily bread where each day you'd read a, 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 a scripture and a story from Chuck and kind of keep you going in your spiritual life. And I'll never forget that, that one day I read this devotional and I had to read it twice because I thought maybe I read it wrong. He, he talked about how the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and how he felt convicted to, to get victory in his life over biting his nails and how up to that point in his life, he had always chewed his fingernails like some of you do, and, and that he you know, decided to obey God and to give up this habit of biting his nails. And that's what the devotional was about. And I remember thinking as a young, very idealistic Christian, that's the stupidest illustration I've ever heard. I thought I'm battling lust here and you know, just coming out of a drunk fest before I got saved and all this other stuff, like real problems, Chuck, and you're talking about biting your nails. And of course, at that time, I was biting my nails like crazy, you know, so I'm thinking about that, you know, and I was going, I got bigger fish to fry and I kind of moved on, but I never forgot that illustration. Fast forward to two years ago. (laughs) I'm now at that time about 55 years old. And when I started taking more extended time away in the summer, some of you don't know this, um, I go away for study and for R&R, but I also go away to try to uh, bolster my spiritual life. And when I go away every summer, starting about five, six years ago, I, I said to the Lord that each summer I want to tackle something small or big that I need to tackle to get more discipline and more spiritual focus in my life. So I, I might've slipped in my quiet times, my devotional life. So I use summer to sort of get back on track or eating. I, I, I have a love affair with food. That's not always healthy. And so many times I use summer to sort of get back onto to healthy eating for me, especially for my health. A couple of summers ago, embarrassingly, I I literally was going into the summer summer and I I really believe this is from the Lord. I thought, I probably got to stop biting my nails because ever since I was like five, I bit my fingernails. And and, and so I said, okay, this summer I'm going to stop biting my nails. Now I've been biting my nails for 50 years at that time. Imagine putting your fingers to your mouth. It really is not a very healthy habit. Putting your fingers to your mouth every day to gnaw at your fingernails. And now, in one moment, you're saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. It was a lot harder than I thought. I mean, really hard. I caught myself like time and time. Ah, no, 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 no. And, 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 and it took a tremendous amount of discipline. And halfway through the summer, I literally said, and, and I ate all my words about Chuck Swindoll's illustration being stupid and dumb, because I halfway through the summer, I said, God, I need your help on this. I said, I'm not gonna do this without your Holy Spirit filling me and giving me the power to keep my hands away from my mouth. And at the end of the summer through obedience and through faith, I stopped biting my fingernails. And for two years now, I have not done that. And let me tell you why this is so important. Eight months after I did that, the pandemic hit. And one of the things that people said to do in the pandemic was to keep your hands away from your mouth. I've actually found, since I stopped biting my fingernails, I don't get sick near as often. I never put two and two together. I found myself much healthier in many ways, and God protected me and many of you through the pandemic, and it just hit me that in God's providence and his sovereignty, he knew exactly what he was doing, at least in his care for me. Now, some of you right now are like me, reading a Chuck Swindoll book 40 years ago, and you're saying, Jamie, that's the stupidest illustration I have ever heard. I can't believe that you chose that one to talk about obedience. And you know what? I don't know, you might be right. Because it is a rather small thing, even though it was more difficult than I thought. Here's what you need to know. And again, I could tell you stories about this too. This principle of obedience and perseverance, realizing victory, works with the big ones too. You know, we're a church that rightly so, focuses wonderfully on grace, as we should. But we focus a lot on the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God, because we are such pathetic sinners and we all need grace. And so as I say to the elders regularly, you, you can't overdose too much on grace. You can misunderstand grace, but you can't overdose on what you, once you fully understand what grace is, because the greater the sin, the greater the grace. The reason I say that, however, is that in the midst of our obsession with grace as a church, we must never to realize the power of obedience because obedience is not the enemy of grace. I love how one guy said it years ago, discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. If you've ever been in athletic competition, you know that it's all about conviction and enthusiasm and, and hype and energy, but you also need to be disciplined And the reason that some of you here today have never found victory is not because you're not saved. You're saved and that's his grace. The reason you've not found victory is that you have overlooked the power of obedience, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and says, move, act, trust me, engage your will. And when it comes to the things that we looked at in this series like anger control, hopelessness, shame, fear, even things like sexual sin, eating, our language, substance abuse, lying and cheating. There are things that can can be overcome by sheer obedience in the power that God gives you and I. It works. Trust me, I've seen it. And one last word on this. And again, this is really for another sermon. But I found it fascinating in my study this week, where in verse two, John says, by this we know that we love the children of God. Did you catch that? And that confused me at first. I thought, "Well, wait a second, you're talking about overcoming and victory and obedience and all this. Why are you bringing the other people into this? I think I know why. And that is he's saying that this is not just you and God gutting it out alone. But that when, yeah, we're all doing it together, and that's when you obey the commandments, when you're in that ring trying to obey God, you need other Christians around you. And it's one of the reasons that I am in a weekly men's group, and I use these men not just as a sounding board, but as my confessors. I confess my sin to them, because the Bible says, confess your sin to one another, and that creates a healthy soul. And so again, you're not alone in this, but you do need to engage your obedience in order to find victory. So let's review. When it comes to victory, it is rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ. He has overcome the world and he lives in us, so ergo, we're in the realm of victory. And then we have access to this uh, victory through obedience and perseverance, tapping into that power that's in us through Jesus and the Spirit. And then a third and final thing before we wrap up this series in a very, very meaningful way, a third and final thing we must realize about victory, and this is important, is that full and final victory will be experienced in eternity. Full and final victory will be experienced in eternity. Now, why is this point important? Here's why. (laughs) Though Jesus lives in us and has overcome the world, and though we can get some wonderful and needed traction in our victory through obedience and perseverance, what we need to be honest about today is that from this point on, and I don't mean to pop your bubble if you're excited about this, but from this point on, you and I are still going to struggle stumble and at times even fall and fail. Give me a head nod that you understand that. There are some Christian traditions that try to say, no, you won't. There's, there's some very, very narrow Christian traditions that try to say that once you understand the infilling of the Holy Spirit and trusting in Jesus and the power of obedience, then that means that you can live, and, and they call it like either sinless perfection or a completely victorious life, or basically that you'll never have to fall again this side of heaven. I, I don't think that's true. I think we have the potential in any given situation in order to be victorious. I really do. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that that even post-salvation, there's a battle going on and that hopefully as you and I grow, we're gonna have more victories than defeats. That is the idea. Chuck Swindoll said it years ago, three steps forward, two steps back, but you're always moving forward. Hopefully we're maturing and sanctifying, but it doesn't mean that you're never gonna struggle or stumble or even fail from this point on. Uh, Paul in Romans 7 uh, has probably one of the most honest statements on this. He, he says this, he says, speaking about his own life post-salvation, he says, for I don't understand my own actions. Any of you relate to that? <laughs> he says, for I, I do not do what I want, and, and the very thing that I do is the thing that I hate. So I find this to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. I don't know about you, I relate to that. (laughs) Last week, we had a funny, well, kind of funny thing happen. It was with this congregation, this eight o'clock service here at Shea. We uh, were celebrating Father's Day, and I I gave a message in anger. Remember that? I gave you some wonderful tools on how to handle anger. And we were handing out measuring tapes that day for Father's Day. And ironically, on the tapes, it said grace, the measure of a man. And I'm the one that wrote that. I said, hey, let's put Grace the Measure of Man on there and, and give a gift to fathers. Well, when we got out there in the, uh, the, the open air here, we had baskets of them and they went really quick and the people weren't prepared for them. And so though we had 5,000 of these, they had to run and get more. And as they did, some other people came out, and I kid you not, they, they came out and some people were like livid and angry and, dis- and displayed it in church right after a sermon on anger, you know, that, that, that they didn't get their tape measure for Father's Day. And again, some of the staff were going, you know, isn't that just crazy and ironic? And I said, yes, but I also understand it. Because for most of us, hopefully in our humble moments, that maybe you weren't the person that did that last Sunday, just admit it, you do the same thing. That there are times where you're riding high spiritually, you're doing great and you're strong, and boom, within one minute, everything can turn on the dime and how you respond and and then your feeling base and your thinking. It's just part and parcel of living in a fallen world. Paul would go on in Galatians 5 to talk about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And here's what you and I need to know is that in eternity, in heaven, there's going to be a final victory for you and me that's going to make all of our striving this side of heaven worth it. Let me read one more passage for you today. It's a little bit longer, but it really, really is an amazing passage. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's about seven verses here, but it uses that Greek word that we looked at in 1 John, nike or nikos or nikao, and it uses it toward the tail end of this in a different way than John does. John's using that to talk about the here and now and the battle you and I have here now and that we can have victory in Jesus. Look at how Paul uses it here. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What does he mean by that? He simply means, sleep means die. What he means is is that there'll be some who when Jesus returns, comes a second time, will be left alive still there, but other people will be dead. So he's saying that we're not all gonna sleep. Some of us will be uh, alive when Jesus comes back, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. in this passage between the perishable and the imperishable, between the mortal and the immortal. Because it's basically saying that while you and I are stuck in this body, this side of heaven, this, this perishing mortal body, we're gonna struggle, we're gonna strive. And As we've learned today, we can have victory and increasing sanctification, but it's gonna be a struggle. But then Paul's painting the picture here, don't miss this, that if you die in Jesus, if you die by believing in him, then at that that last trumpet sound, you're gonna be raised, and you're gonna be raised imperishable, immortal, and I love how three times over he says, there's your victory, there's your victory, there's your victory, and then, again, this is an amazing passage. In verse 58, after everything here is eternal, he now brings it back to the here and now, and he says, in light of this, In light of the fact that, Alex, you're going to have an amazing victory someday, full and and free in heaven, right now, do your best to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In other words, as Paul would say elsewhere, fight the good fight. Stay in the ring. Hang in there, because he is with you, and he loves you, and victory truly can be yours. So here's what I wanna do as we uh, close out this series here today. And, and, and again, some of you are gonna love this, and I think, mo- well, most of you are gonna love this, and, and, and we do this every once in a while here, and it's very meaningful. But we're gonna have an altar call here today and at our other campuses. A- an altar call, for some of you who don't know what it is, it's kind of a weird term because we don't actually have an altar here, but an altar call is where we're gonna call Those of you who are ready to commit, and we'll talk about what you're committing to in a minute here, to come down front here and at Cactus Northridge and Chapel. Why is that important? You know, we could ask you to commit right where you sit right now, but here's one of the beautiful things about, about what the Bible says about you as an individual, and that is that you are made up of body, soul, and spirit. We call it a tripartite view of the human person. And because you are a body and a soul and a spirit, there's something about engaging all three of them when you commit to something that is unifying and beautiful. And so just committing your soul and your spirit where you sit is sometimes not enough. It's helpful to stand up and to come down here and either stand or kneel, do whatever you want, and with your whole body, soul, and spirit, commit yourself to God. That's why sometimes we call you forward, and we're going to do that today. And who's being called forward today? Listen very close. We're calling those of you forward today for prayer and for commitment, and you're committing to a life of increasing victory. Not perfection, but of increasing victory, that if you are somebody here today that needs to re-up when it comes to having a life of increasing overcoming in your life, and only you and God know what that means, then we're gonna call you forward here and other campuses and venues for prayer. For some of you, based on our first point today, it's gonna be a first time decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. In other words, you're here today as a seeker, or here today as somebody investigating the claims of Christ, and you like me 40 years ago are just saying enough, I need Jesus. And so when you come forward for victory, you're coming forward to receive Jesus for the very, very first time as your savior and Lord. And then there's others of you who have been a believer for any length of time, but you know that you need a second wind. You need this time to recommit your life to him. Now don't miss this. Recommit to a life of obedience and perseverance. You're committing to the things that we talked about here today to say, Lord, enough shenanigans, enough playing games. I'm ready to recommit myself to you in a fresh way by coming forward and receiving prayer. So here's how this is going to work. I'm gonna stay down here at Shea and then we're gonna have our other campus pastors and Ray at the chapel, I think wherever Ray is, uh, (laughs) down front in their campuses And we're going to stay down here as we sing a song. So I'm going to pray in a minute, and I'm going to stay here. And we're going to sing a song, and though we're going to release the campuses to themselves, we're all going to be singing the same song. And for any of you who have done this before, what song are we going to sing? I Surrender All. Because that is the quintessential song that's going to stir your heart, if it's not already been stirred, to come forward and receive prayer. So for those of you who are not coming forward, you have a job. Your job is to to stay there standing or sitting and to to sing and to worship and to be praying for your brothers and sisters who are gonna have a a moment in time, a, a defining moment between them and God. Last word on this is I'll be waiting for you down here. I just encourage you not to be shy. This is between you and God. And don't miss the moment if he is tapping you on the shoulder. I thought about it this week and this is the way you have to see it. Don't wait for eternity for a victory that could be yours now. Because some of you are saying, hey, I like that eternity thing. You know, I can just sort of hang in there and I know I'm saved and da-da-da. Don't wait till eternity. There is joy to be found now. There's victory to be found now. Let's commit your soul to God today for a better life moving forward. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna start singing here and at other campuses. As soon as we start singing, that's your cue to come down here during the song, and when we're done, we'll all pray together. Won't you bow with me? Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that there is not one person here, not one, who's beyond the scope of your grace and your goodness, and beyond the scope of your reach. And Lord, if I don't miss my guests, there are some, if not many here today, in a Cactus Northridge Chapel, even online, who really need to come forward here today and are ready to recommit their lives or for the very first time to receive Jesus and to start a life of increasing victory and of joy and of overcoming. And so God, meet us in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.